0: personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ.
1: Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister and I am the host of the Living a Better Story podcast. Today, I'm with Aaron Schoenberger. He's the founder of Brainchild Group, which is a really cool company out of Southern California. If you look at their website, thebrainchildgroup.com, you'll see downtown Los Angeles where my wife used to work and the 110 Harbor Freeway right there. And um, They've done a lot of cool things advising startups as well as Fortune 500s on how to do digital and marketing right. And then over the years, they've developed another cool company where Aaron is the CEO and co-founder of Soteria Intelligence, where they use big data, AI, and a lot of really cool things, monitoring social media and such. So we're going to dig into some of that today, I'm sure. Aaron, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, so... um, I like to get started on the show to help our audience connect with you by asking you about when you were a kid, what were you passionate about, right? When you wake up in the morning, what was your day like? Where did you live? Were you still in Southern California? Or tell us about when you were younger. What are some of the first memories that you had?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so I remember I, I grew up in Los Angeles, um, right by the Grove in the farmer's market, before the Grove was there, I guess. Um, and I was always into building things. That's something I always remember, whether it's, um, you know, going to see my family in New York and in the backyard building forts and, and with wood. And um, I remember in, in preschool and kindergarten, I got sent home because I always wanted to carry a full-size hammer with me and they said it's not really uh, allowed. Um, I insisted on having it. But uh, since then, I was always interested in building stuff. Um, And and that's been something that carries on to this day. I think it's a matter of creating something and not just going with the flow. Uh, That's one of my my characteristics, I believe.
1: I love it. And so obviously you created two companies that I'm aware of. Um, What other, you know, in, in the middle from then to now, what else did you create over the course of your career?
2: That's interesting. Um, I would say that throughout my career, a lot of what I did in my career was helping companies grow and building companies. So I enjoy working with very large companies, but I actually have a lot more fun working with small companies, putting together the initial concepts for marketing, giving input on the direction, uh, making sure that they make the right decisions early on where they could scale quickly and not run into a lot of the hurdles that I've seen throughout hundreds of companies. Uh, so that's what I enjoy.
1: I bet. I bet it's I bet it's the same flaws that you see time, in, time and time again over the years, right?
2: Absolutely. And a lot of stuff, you know, if you're a first-time entrepreneur when you're getting into business, there's things that you're just going to make mistakes on. Um, and if you look at those over time, a lot of people make the same mistakes. So if you could scale a business and understand what those mistakes are, early on, it will, it will help you in the end. And it's one of the reasons why I brought on a really good board for Soteria Intelligence that have been through this for many years. Um, and they're able to give me feedback on things using their experience of being in business for 30, 40, 50 years.
1: Yeah, that's great insight. Um, it took me a while to learn that having other people who've been there done that is extremely helpful. I remember going to do a Ferrari race around the track with Gerhard Faulkner from Selling Power, uh, Sales 2.0. And, and he had a group cool. of 30 or 40 CEOs. And I remember getting in the driver's seat and there was a, you know, there was another driver in the passenger seat who had a brake just like I had. <laughs> and so he, he, was, he was the safety valve, right? And he could whisper in your ear. So you're going around the corner, clipping 150 miles an hour. And he's going, punch it, punch it, punch it, floor it, floor, you know, all the way to the end. And you're like, I'm going to hit the wall. And he's like, no, no. Okay. Yep. And then he goes slam on the brakes. And you realize like, oh, and it, it's not actually, you're not going to spin out and do a 360 or a donut because the way the brakes are built on this Ferrari. And it right. took me that experience about three or four years ago to realize, oh, you can hire people that are expert race car drivers so to speak, when you're building your company, marketing, sales, finance, right? All of it.
2: And you also have to be open to listening. So many people I've seen in business, they think they know everything and they won't take a step back and take, take in feedback from different people, weigh it themselves and make the best decision. They just think that they know everything. And that mindset gets you in trouble a lot of times.
1: Oh, I love that. T- t- are you familiar with PI, the uh, personality index?
2: Uh, I, I am, yeah. I, I, I'm not an expert in it, but I am familiar with it. So
1: I'm a captain. And as I understand it, there's a hook in my personality where I have a pretty good risk tolerance, but I also, I'm not just, I'm not going to be the next Bill Gates or, you know, I, I, I've got the hook. <laughs> so it keeps me. Right. What I've learned is Mavericks, on the other hand, don't have the hook. And so they're willing to, they kind of have to rely upon people that are smarter than them because they take all the risk in the world. And, and yeah. I'm almost thinking that, you know, is there a way to flatten the hook? Or is that even a worthy cause in life to go after flattening the hook and become a Maverick? Or is it just good to own your captainness? and say, hey, I'm just a little more conservative than the maverick is? (laughs)
2: That's a really great question. And what it really comes down to is there could be things that happen in your life that flatten the hook, that either it's a success, a failure, a hardship. If you are really successful in a position and you rise within an organization and you realize, wow, I could do this better than all these people. Why am I not doing this? That's one way. Maybe you go through something really catastrophic that you have no other option than to flatten the hook because you don't have opportunities. That's right. That's really what it comes
0: down to. Yeah,
1: that's cool. I just thought of it this last week while I was meeting so many CEOs in Florida and recognizing that, oh, wow, that woman from Colorado is a pure maverick. That person over there, he's not either maverick or captain. And you can (laughs) just start to kind of see how all the different personalities will play the role of ceo differently than each other
2: 100%
1: yes so very cool That's
2: so true
1: so share share something that maybe was challenging for you in life right something you're comfortable sharing obviously we all have personal experiences but is there something that that you saw as a as a mountain you know that was hard to get over or around and then how did you get around it right when things got tough what did you do that was you know unique to get through the negativity
2: i would say that one of the biggest things is i was on track to do the usual you know trajectory in school i went to a really good high school um i was in college my parents had gotten divorced when i was young about five years old and i spent most of my time with my dad the older i got they lived nearby um so i'd see them both but when i was 21 i was just at the point of transferring from community college to um, a four year school to finish my degree and I wanted to become an attorney. So that was always what I wanted to do. It's very much in my family. I've always been interested in law. Um, And when I was 21, he woke me up one morning with uh, chest pains and asked me to take him to the hospital. So we were living right by the farmer's market area, Fairfax and Third. And when he woke me up, I said, yeah, no problem. We jumped in my car and next thing I know, he starts having a heart attack in the car next to me. So we're on the way to cedar sinai it's five in the morning there's not many people out and i realized i start had to start going through the red lights and try to get there by the time i got to the er and pulled in front he had pretty much passed away in the car and they came out checked his pulse and everything and, and that was that so in one day i went from here's my trajectory of my dad you know my family will help me stuff to the best that they can um i had a place to live you know all those things then you know a few hours later I have no way to, to support, you know, the the, the 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 rent for where we were living, I to continue college and all of these things. So, I the other thing is, I was working for the Olsen twins at that time for their company, Dual Star Entertainment Group. which I learned a lot from the people there in that company. But I had a project that I had to get done, and I I said I'd get it done on this day. That was the day he passed away. So I still after he passed away in the car went to work the same day, got the project done. And that that path. And then a week later, actually, funny enough, I was driving on the freeway. Uh, somebody hit my car, which turned into kind of be an insurance scam, totaled the car. So now I had to deal with my dad dying. I got my the car a week later, I have no car, the car gets totaled. And, and I had to find a new place to live and all of those things. So everything within a few week period. So it's part. It's made me who I am today, but it's also made me kind of harsh in certain ways. I don't have a lot of sympathy in business. You know, if, if, if someone's plant died and you say you can't come to work, I, I I just have zero sympathy. You know, things like that. So I hold people to a high standard, but I also hold myself to a high standard too.
1: Wow, I I love that. There was a debate online, re- and and I I love your story. Um, it's it's interesting. <laughs> there's a, I'm working with this group called food for orphans. And, you know, when, when this founder travels to Kenya and to different parts of Africa, he said, Hey, in many cases, a nine-year-old is the head of household because both parents have passed away. So, you know, to your point, think about if you were, you know, it happened when you were at a certain age and it's, it's hard enough. Now imagine you're not right man, exactly. it just makes yeah. you want to step up and, you know, do the right thing in the world. I don't think governments are very good at getting money to places that need it. And I think it's, you know, no. with so many spectacular businesses like Sotiera. think of your business will have a market cap. Someday there could be an exit. And, and then it's on us to remember our upbringings and say, okay, there's other people in the world who are going through similar experiences to what we did.
2: Yes one of the, the most validating and exciting things for me was um, not buying cars or houses or other superficial things uh, there's a school i think birmingham high school in the valley and they have a program called um, high-tech los angeles and i got a call from someone that's i i i don't usually take calls um about money or donations it's, i just I, I do it in other ways but i got a call and this girl was so nice and I thought she was maybe in her 20s. Turns out she was a student at the school. They were looking for donations for the robotics program and wanted me to come by. And I went by and I see this room that these kids that are from the inner city that don't have a lot of resources, they're, they have CNC machines. They're building their own, machining their own parts. They're doing all their own electrical work. There's another station where they're writing code. And I was like, wow, like to give them a little bit, but also to go visit and to send pizza beforehand and see how excited the kids are. It's like, yes, when we have our exits, being able to contribute to things like that is really, really important. And, and, and pe- people, that are, people that need things, whether it's for school, technology, health, whatever it may be, but that are deserving of things, but they can't really get the money or they don't have the resources or don't know the channels to go through to get those funds.
1: I love that. Yeah. Uh, my, my nephew is, and, and my son go to Colorado school of mines. My nephew did those, uh, robotics courses, you know, where they would have yeah. uh, robot battles and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's so um, cool. It's so cool. That's really neat. So what about in the work that you're doing today in, you know, both, both sides, both companies, what what um what gets you up in the morning what are you passionate about now
2: i'm very passionate still about helping companies grow but the reason that i founded soteria intelligence was more to do good in the world when i realized in particular you know looking at schools that in the mid you know let's say 2015 2013 between that that time school threats on social media took off and There was a lot of students in the past, if you go through the history of it, that specifically stated what they were going to do before they did it, and then that resulted in school shootings and a lot of innocent children dying. Same thing happens when you look at um, terrorist attacks, you look at workplace violence. Unfortunately, for many years, the technology was not there to identify these things, Because the platforms that analyze this kind of data look at just keyword combinations. So if you think about, let's say a student tweeting or on Instagram or any other platform, social media platform, um, or even just a group text, I'm shooting hoops at school versus I'm going to shoot people at school. Right. Well, shoot and school, if you look at just those words, you're going to get a ton of false positives and negatives. Whereas, if you understand the linguistics behind what's actually being said, you could discover these things and even behavioral characteristics before these actions are are made um, well in advance and try to thwart it. So, that keeps me up at night. That is where we started, but it also um, expanded very much into looking at a variety of data for a variety of purposes. So, if you look at, let's say, fire spreading, if you could integrate social media on the ground, and that data, and someone posting about um, the fire spreading. There's a hot spot here, and they're posting specifically where it is. Well, if you could look at the fire map, let's say that is available, you know, through various services, and then integrate social, you could start to understand how the fire is spreading, aside from um, the other sensors that are out there. So there's there's so many applications of using data uh, for for good to analyze good stuff, bad stuff, and everything in between, pretty much.
1: Well, I had a talk with a gentleman named Ty Smith, who's with the San Diego firm. And um, it's a big space out there. So I'm comfortable telling you who the company is, comsafe.ai. Have you heard of that one yet?
2: I have not, but, I'm gonna, but it sounds interesting.
1: Yeah, he's such a neat guy. And it's, it listens to Slack channels. It's more company versus school. So I think you are peaceful coexistence, right? Because they're focused on company communications. And so they're about to do a, a raise a series a after their seed round. And it sounds pretty similar, but it's really more for companies. You know, if someone's saying that's something exciting. that's violent or, you know, making statements similar to, to what you're listening for um, they alert the manager, but you know, to your point, they can't have dozens of false positives. And that's what the difference is in the technology today than it was before.
2: Right. Yeah. Before deep learning, a lot of these things weren't possible. I mean, AI, quote, you know, in air quotes, has been around for a long time and machine learning, and it's been useful. But when you look at the real strides, you know, people don't think about it, but when you, when Apple switched they they, they remove the fingerprint scanner from the phones. Well, people don't realize that every single time you're looking at your phone, it's taking an image of you and putting that in a model that's being used to allow you to open your phone. Every single time you're on Netflix, clicking around and selecting things to watch or adding them to your list or other things, the actions you're taking, it's learning from all of your, your actions within Netflix. And that's how their recommendation system is so accurate and valuable. All these things are, are deep learning innovations, and I'm excited to see how that progresses You know, in the near future.
1: Yeah. To me, the biggest concern is around ethics and who monitors the use of the information. And so I believe yeah. there needs to be a new role called chief ethics officer, right? CEO 2.0. <laughs> of all
2: of yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. true because you, you, you need to not have models that overfit, and you don't want AI models to be trained with some kind of bias, so they look for specific things or perform specific actions. It has to be um, weighed and, and used ethically.
1: Yeah, I remember at the AI conferences that I went to a couple of years ago, I went to about six in one year. And there's this woman with purple hair is how I remember her. <laughs> and she And she was at three of the six that I went to and she always talked about ethics. And she said, hey, when AI is used properly, and she cares deeply about this, right? And she said, look, if it's reading a resume, for example, it's not going to have a a bias like Hector Gonzalez. It doesn't care, right? The AI reads it and says, oh, Hector Gonzalez, cool. Let's look at his stats. Let's look at their spaces in employment. Let's look at the keywords. Whereas a manager could look at it and say, well, you know, uh, Hector, hmm. I had an experience with a Hector when I was a kid, you know, yep, and they exactly, bring their exactly. own terrible biases into that equation.
2: So. Yeah. And that's really vile, you know, so that, that needs to be a role. And I, I hope big business, small business, anybody implementing AI in the future you know, now or in the future um, thinks about it that way. And that's something my dad always told me is do the right thing. Even when no one's looking, so it doesn't matter. Like you shouldn't litter. Well, it doesn't matter. Like if people are next to you or no one can see you, you just don't litter. You know, you, you, you treat people with respect. You open the door for an elderly lady. all of those things, you know, you don't do it for a purpose to show people you do it. Cause that's, you should be a good person. And that should carry over um, to software that you develop and how it's you know implemented.
1: Yeah. That's the quote of the day, man. Do the right thing. Even when no one's looking, we've all heard it before. But especially in today's day and age, it uh, it rings a bell that we all need to remember yeah. that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely,
1: it, it, we can get carried away in the social media world these days. Um, tell me, right. so you've worked with many entrepreneurs, CEOs, and I have to imagine you've you've seen the struggle, right? For me, <laughs> cash flow is always uh, the fun part of the job. Not <laughs> yes, yes. Um, What, what advice would you give people that are maybe just entering as an entrepreneur, or maybe they're knee deep in it and they're just going, man, how do I do this? Maybe I need to go back and get a full-time job. You know, what's the advice that you would give them to uh, make it through those tough times and decisions?
2: It's a great question. I would say there's too many people that you know, now being an entrepreneur because of Shark Tank and everything and shows like Silicon Valley, and now being a computer person, let's say a computer geek, is actually a cool thing. Whereas before it was, you know, Joe Schmo in the computer lab, this guy's a geek. But now it's it's been proven that those people are actually the coolest. You know, they're the ones like a Bill Gates that can change the whole world, or, or everyone thought that kind of person was a geek. But look at jobs. But now they have an iPhone, they have an iMac. So, Shark Tank and and everything in the world accelerated the fact that entrepreneurship is cool. But a lot of people want to do it because they want to be an entrepreneur, let's just say. They want to say that. They want to feel that. But they don't really have the work ethic um, and a plan in place to actually do that. And I see a lot of people, especially on social media, oh, I'm launching this company. Um, We're going to do all these big things. But they say that before they even have a website and it just, then you look six months later and it didn't go anywhere. So I think if you're going to dig in and and, and become an entrepreneur, you actually have to be solving some kind of problem. You have to have an idea um, first that's, that's viable and then you have to have some sort of um, capital to be able to push your idea to a certain level, depending on how much capital you have. And there's a great episode on Silicon Valley, the show, where I think it was Pied Piper, when they got an offer from a VC firm, it was way too much money and they were blown away. But they didn't realize that if they took the deal, they'd lose entire control of the company and they'd be kicked out. So it's a blend of being able to have the funds to get something started and get it to a certain point so you could have other people see the value and come in and and, and and see the vision and put their money in to help you with that. Um, but that's a broad range of, you know, h- how far you can take it. Yeah. So for me, I prefer to take things personally as far as I can, um, because then I have control over it. And that also comes down to being an entrepreneur. You have to build a great team and you want people to trust you, to look up to you. <clears throat> and if you take money from people, let's just say early on, you build some app. You go to Silicon Valley. You raise money from VCs. They get a few board seats. Well, what happens to these people that are on the core team that you promise certain things to them, but now you can't physically deliver those things because you don't even have control. You, you you've been the board's taken over. Maybe the um, you know the the amount of equity that you have, you, you don't have any controlling interest. Well, even if you're the best person in the world, you can't deliver on your promises because you physically can't do it.
1: Yeah, that that's huge. Um, I've been part of the companies that are VC funded, and and I saw yep. founders come and go, and you know they're like, "What happened? I invented this," and you know they they got too diluted. So yeah, that's we have not taken any money here. Grew from three hundred thousand to one point two this year. We're, we'll probably do one point eight. And it's we haven't taken a dime. Um, there's another company in an Indy. Twenty um, four year old founder. And they did fourteen million. They'll do fourteen million this year. And wow. they do they do LinkedIn yeah. outreach similar to what we do. They've grown eight times more than we have in the same time period. And and you have point, a big opportunity
2: because LinkedIn yeah. is huge. It's Lincoln's huge, yeah. very big.
1: And he's smart, extremely smart, and he works hard. He has the work ethic um, from his parents that you know that he's acquired. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people these days that are like, you know, I've got this IP that I've generated and, and they don't, they're 25 and they don't have the IP generated yet. And they think they can work two hours a day and make $400,000 a year. And I'm like, it doesn't work that
2: way. (laughs) Nope, (laughs) not at all. I mean, I I was on the grind seven days a week, missing, you know, friends, birthday parties, bachelor parties, uh, weddings, all that stuff working to grow the Brainshaw Group and saving. Um, I mean, it's to the extreme, though. I'm to the extreme in many ways. My friends think I'm crazy, and I kind of am. But after my dad passed, I had this little rinky-dink apartment in West L.A. And because I knew it was temporary, I refused. When I was moving, my bed broke. Well, I refused to buy a bed. So I slept on the couch that I had for my dad's place, which is actually six inches or so too small for me. So here I am for what I was hoping to be a shorter period of time, but it ended up being five years living there, sleeping on the couch. I had no fridge, even though I love to cook and I'm a foodie. And it was, why am I going to buy that for this place? But I'm not going to be here soon. So it was on the grind, five years straight, growing the Brainshaw Group to the point where then I could go buy a house where I want to live. And, and that's where, you know, it's, it's, and that helped me generate the funds to start Soteria and to fund that and to kick that off. So uh, don't, don't fake it till you make it. So many people, especially in places like LA, it's all about, I'm an entrepreneur, I have this car, I have this, but you don't really have anything. So it, when it comes down to it, what are you building? What is the big picture? And what's your exit going to be? There's got to be some exit, some, whether it fizzles out, you get acquired, whatever, it, you have to have some goal for here you're at right now, where are you going? And what are all the steps to get there?
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love the work ethic. It it reminds you of Gary V. <laughs> he's he's one oh, of the yeah. hardest working men in the in business right now and and uh, as a result, he's been quite successful over the years.
2: You so let's see. I respect a lot. Oh, yeah. I just want to mention I I I worked with I've worked with for years is a guy named Warren Lichtenstein and he you know, this is a guy who worked as an analyst at um uh a, a financial firm in New York. I think when he was 24 or 25, he decided, you know what, I could do this better. I'm going to go ahead and create my own hedge fund, my own firm, and and, and well, my own investment firm that evolved in, in many ways. When he was 24, or 25. Fast forward till today, uh, he's worth you know probably a billion or more. And this is somebody who is one of the leading investors and 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 built it from scratch, you know, and grew it to that point. So I always love seeing people that that did that, like Gary V. When I had companies before and he was just getting on the scene, he was, I believe, just helping his family's wine business and starting to get into social media. And then that blew up into everything. The sales obviously blew up, but then also his whole career blew up.
1: Yeah. So, well, the, the other example, Henry Shuck, I've known for 10 years. He was with DiscoverOrg, And then they yep. bought Zoom Info. They bought Rain King. They bought all the data competitors. And you know, now they're a multi-billion dollar company traded on the stock exchange. And you know, he built that out of his garage, just like just like yes. a lot of entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley do. Yep. <laughs> so it's so true. And it's cool to see. It is, it is. And then you just you know, where I'm excited to see, because I know a lot of these people, like Zoom Video, Eric Yuan, and Ring Central. I worked there for a while, and a lot of people I worked with at WebEx wow. are there. And these are companies that went from $10, you know, 14 when I joined. And when I left, it was like $200 a share. Now it's $400 a share. And, you know, you just look at some of these people's lives that are changed. And, you know, everybody has a story. Everybody learns through life. And I'm just excited that, you know, to get the chance to give back and, you know, living a better story really is about helping people tell their story and then, how do you how do you change the future for for good? Um is what it's all about. Absolutely. So, tell me last question I want to ask you here, Aaron, is about faith. And and you know, I I've heard you tell your story, and you've had a lot of, you know, you you work hard and you've worked hard to get to where you are. You had you had speed bumps like we all do. Um, what role does faith play in, in your day to day and in your
2: life? Um, I, I would say it plays um a big role because there's different types of faith obviously that my my background um is jewish i would say jewish you know because i i don't practice as much as i should in my family you know older generations do but also i think there's an element of karma too and what kind of person you are and how you live your life how you treat other people so i've always um been very focused on that is you know who i am as a person uh to respect everybody and treat them the same, whether they're um, a valet person or they're an executive. I remember working for the Olsen twins. um, It was in Century City, the office. And there was a time when when I first started there, it was around my first year of college. And I was just an intern and I grew within the organization. But I remember one time the service elevator broke down and I had to take some trash down or something to the, the you know, the, the, the loading dock area. And here I am in this elevator with all these is primarily attorneys in the building. These people in suits dressed all nice And here I am standing with a bag of trash. And I remember how they looked at me. And now to this day, no matter what I'm wearing, where I'm at, when I see someone like that, I always engage them because you know, wh- why not? It's, we're all people. So, and those kind of people, um, people that, no matter what level they're at, if you care about them and you talk to them, you treat them the same, then they respect you, and you end up building relationships in the most um, unlikely kind of ways. So uh, there's an element of faith in me being Jewish in those principles, um, but it's also you know just I, I believe karma. And there's something there, and no matter how much bad stuff you go through, if you keep pushing forward as a good person, um, good things happen to you.
1: Man, that's so well said. I love that. Yeah, I think of, um, I'm going to blank on his name, but he was in the Bush administration, one of the higher ups, uh, African American gentlemen, and I heard him speak. And he talked about how he'd pull into the parking garage, and the people who would park his car, he would find out about their families, and get to know them. And he's like, nobody did that. And so he goes, guess what? The politicians who were a-holes in the parking lot, they would get the far back three cars deep and it would take exactly. 20 minutes. And he goes, I'd exactly. come out and every time my car was right there at the front. So
2: that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And you don't do it obviously for that purpose, but you do it and that's the reward is, you know, being really nice to the valet guy Well, you get your car right in front, being nice to the door person at maybe some restaurant or bar. You don't do it for social engineering purposes. You do it because you genuinely care. But maybe, you know, they said they hurt their knee six months ago. And then you ask them, hey, how's your knee? How the heck would you remember that? Because you you care about people. yeah. Um, And and I think that gets you really far in life and really far in business, too.
1: Wow. I love the visual of the trash bag in the elevator with lawyers looking at you. Um, it reminds me of another guy that's at this place we go to called board of advisors. There's 150 high-end CEOs uh, that are running family offices, digital media, all, all of it. Right. And they're really, really powerful people in that room. And, um, and then there's the lighting crew and the lighting crew, you know, I went and talked to them and I got to know them Coleman and Travis and, you know, all these guys and they're normal people that have amazing stories. And same thing, he goes, you know, he came to one of our events, a living a better story event. And I was like, Hey, what, what piqued your interest? What caused you to come? He goes, cause you actually pulled me aside. You talked to me, you got to know who I am and other people who've been there for years, just brush it off. And they've never, they don't even know my name. <laughs> you
2: know? Right. So Yeah. Welcome to the world today. So that's yeah. like, but more, but people can change that and it doesn't cost you anything. All it, it takes is just, just talking to someone. Being a nice yeah. person, asking how just someone's day, is nice not saying "Oh, how's your day?" and then disregarding them because you don't care. You're just saying "Oh, how's your day?" A- actually asking them and digging into it, and then logging that in your mind and remembering that person, what they're going through, that they that type of kid, whatever it is. You know, it doesn't cost you anything, so why not do that?
1: I love it, Aaron. This has been a fabulous conversation. If people want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way to reach out?
2: Um, I would say probably via email. Um, Either Aaron at thebrainchildgroup.com or Aaron at soteriaintelligence.com. It's S O T E R I A intelligence.com.
1: Outstanding. We've been talking to Aaron Schoenberger, the founder of thebrainchildgroup.com, as well as founder and CEO of Soteria Intelligence. Uh, fabulous conversation. I love getting to know people that are making a difference in the world. So thank you for sharing your story today, Aaron, on the Loving Better Story podcast.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to keeping in touch with you.
1: All right, everybody. We'll catch you on the next show for now. Reach out to Aaron Schoenberger if you have anything in the digital digital marketing space. He'd be a good guy to talk to.
0: Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.